So I'm uh, grateful for everybody here this morning. I want to also encourage uh, after the service, we're going to be doing a bit of setup. It'd be great to have a little bit of uh, uh, additional help for a few minutes. We can get some things put in place, and I think you'll find that will go quickly. And what you're going to find is a transformation between now and Christmas Eve in here. So I want to encourage you. Uh, I'm going to have a little bit of a hook left at the end of our service uh, to get you to come back on Christmas Eve, even if you had planned to go see your in-laws in Germany. So, <clears throat> last week I shared with you uh, something that God had really been developing an understanding for in my own life, in my own understanding of the gospel, uh, and it really had to do with the value and the importance of unity particularly in the body of Christ. And uh, as we come into the Christmas season, uh, we were kind of thinking about uh, kind of a theme that God gave us and this idea of, of going home. And what we've noticed is it's all over the world. People are embracing this theme of going home. So I guess the Lord might be kind of putting that out there for us. But what I wanted us to kind of embrace in the idea of unity as it comes to Christmas, it, it really does connect. You really begin to see uh, who God is in unity. And so I wanted to just repeat the four kind of pieces that we covered last week when it comes to unity in a context of Christmas. And so we'll look at those real quick. Uh, the first thing that we see in Scripture uh, with regard to unity is, first, God calls us his people. Uh, he identifies us as his people, his peeps, his tribe, uh, his, his posse. He sees us as his and connected and identified with him. And, and so the way he sees that is we are a people. We are one. We, we are a people that have the potential and the power to think alike, uh, not that we give up our creat creativity, but that we're aligned together in our vision, our understanding, our values, our priorities, that, that these things are a reality that we relate to in God. Uh, the second thing uh, is that he has designed us. It means he's wired us. He has created us to join together, to grow together, to build together. He's designed us to come together and create a quality together that we cannot find on our own. To, it creates a quality that we will not find even connected with us and God. That there is a quality that God has created in you and I to need, to need, and, and if we allow God to do this, to want to do it together, to grow together, and to build together. These are lost things in our high value of independence. I can go much, much faster without you. I, I, can, I feel like I can do everything better without you. That's not really true anymore. But that's where I come from. 
In college, when we had to do those uh, teen papers, when you had to work with four other people in your class, what I tell my team is, I guarantee you an A. Just go away. I will do this whole project. I will put the paper together. I promise you an A if you will stay out of my way. I'll just hand it to you at the end. You'd be amazed how many people say, I'll take that deal. And for me, I would, I would ditch those and find people who would say yes to my deal. Uh, that's not a good thing. That is what I knew is I could control the quality if I were alone. But God says, I have created you to build together and to grow together. The third thing, in unity, and the scripture is explicit on this, that the unity is what he calls the proof. It's what he calls the validation that first he is real. And and this is that the world is gonna know this. And what you need to understand is, even if the world doesn't know the Bible, even if the world doesn't have good concepts or good theology, even if the world is an atheist, what God is saying is, if you walk and live in the unity as my people, the world will see it. And they will know that I exist. And they will also have an understanding of my actions and my feelings and my motives toward them, that they're good. The world will know that if you are united as one people under me. The world will be able to identify me, whether it accepts me or not, it will know that I'm here, that I'm for them. Do you realize how much of the world is not aware that God is here and loves them and pursues them. And that his motive toward them is good. Maybe that's a measurement of our unity. I get uh, exhortation all the time. Do you know what that fancy word means? I get encouraged, challenged, uh, persuaded. You need to, we need to get the church pastors together. We don't need to have these walls between the churches. Uh, the church needs to be one. The, the church is too divided. I've always struggled with that a little bit, not getting together with the pastors. I do that. I enjoy that. I don't think it changes anything. And I think when I began to look at how God describes unity, I think I understood it then that the challenge is not between myself and another pastor. The problem is in my church, we're not really all that united. We're not a compelling evidence of God's existence and his love for humanity. And I wonder how many churches are really compelling in that. Is there a way that we can go after the unity in such a way that the walls are naturally diminished? Where we don't have to have pastors meeting so that we can talk about we have things in common. 
Lastly, we described that the scripture envisions uh, out of this unity that we will be joined with the Trinity. That somehow this unity brings us in step with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It kind of appears like it becomes a foursome. We, we become the fourth part of the triune God. That's a powerful place God is extending to his people, this one. I, I continue to see these things and reflect on them. And, and as I reflected on them coming into, into Christmas, uh, we were talking how this, uh, this peace on coming home uh, is somehow rooted in there. And so I decided to look at what leads up to Christmas. And so often we get the traditional message, you know, of the birth and with the account that we have in the book of Luke, uh, the manger scene, the things that we have sung about today, some of these things, uh, they're all very good. But you realize when we say that is what was taking place before Jesus was born, there's really leaving out a big picture. And that is the time between the Testaments because the birth of Jesus is really the beginning of the New Testament. It is the, it is the initiation of the New Testament is John the Baptist and Jesus. And so we have this a 400-year period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, and it is often called the silent years. And the reason is there was not a prophet that spoke to the people of Israel in that 400 years. But that 400 years is what was going on before Jesus. And so... I want to look at that because the world drastically changed. If you can imagine going back to the year 1614, it would look really different. You might have armor that you wear. You might be a peasant. You would not have an iPhone. 1614 was very different. And that is not too different than what it was then. So uh, I want you to see some things. I have a, a map here. It'll be a little bit of work, but this is a map of the Persian Empire at its peak. And the Persian Empire was really the Babylonian Empire and then moving into the Persian Empire. It was what was happening at the end of the Old Testament. And, and Israel was conquered and being scattered and there was a remnant but it was not its former self, and it had become somewhat of a puppet nation. And this is what it looked like. Uh, you can see over into Turkey, and if you'll see on the far left, that's Greece. And then between then, you had a very important time, the Greek Empire. It's not going to be, we don't have a chart of it, but the Greek Empire. And so what you had is this division and this disseminating of God's people all over the place. 
And then you had the Greeks come in and they unified language. And then after the Greek empire, you had the Roman empire. And this is the Roman empire. And if you'll look, you can see it's, I don't know if you can see where Greek, if you can see Italy, that's very easy. So Italy was, this whole left side was not even in that last picture. Rome took up all of Europe. It, it was really all of the known populated world at that time. And they built roads across all that area. And they connected these common, this common language. And all of a sudden, the world was a place where the good news could travel and it could go out across the world. So what were the people of God doing for 400 years? If there's not a prophet that we know of, a writing prophet, a speaking prophet, what were the people of God doing for that 400 years? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to listen to the scripture of the nuggets they were holding on to. You see, they had become exiles, even in, their own, even in their own place. They had become a people that could not go home. But they, oh, how they wanted to go home. Home is a complicated thing, isn't it? So what did home look like? You know, there were promises of what the home looked like for the people of God. And so this is going to be a reading out of Isaiah chapter 11. I want you to think about how incredible the home that they were praying for and waiting for for 400 years. Think of what this home sounds like. That's home. There was going to be a king who would lead them home. And that home was going to be a place where they were safe. 
Not just people, but animals would be safe. There would be a shift in reality as we know it. That's what they prayed for. That's what they were hoping for. For 400 years, they were waiting for that guy to show up and usher in that kingdom. Where lions are eating grass with cows, but nobody goes hungry. It's a different world they were looking for. That's home. That's what they were praying about. Thank you. <clears throat> this is another prophecy of that particular king and what home would look like. Isaiah 65. Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth. And no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. And I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Hallelujah. Only the cursed will die that young. In those days, people will live in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards. For my people will live as long as trees, and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune. For they are people blessed by the Lord, and their children too will be blessed. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat hay with a cow. But the snakes will eat dust. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. That's home. No more fear, no more dying, no more pain. You know, it's interesting. It says, you know, your children won't be doomed. A lot of people in today's society feel like, wow, our children are struggled. It's a tough world. Doesn't sound like it was different then, does it? It sounds like life is hard and that it's not safe. And many of you today, myself, we live with needs. We live with wishes and wants and dreams. And we have our own idea of home. If only. If only. If only this pain weren't here. 
If only I were back together in my marriage. If only my parents were back together. If only I had a job that would pay my bills. If only. Do you know that those verses are used to describe the advent of Christmas? Do you know that when they do the advent wreath at Christmas time, it is from those verses that it is read? Recognizing that Jesus was that one that had the capability to usher in that new world, to take people home. When we look at Advent, we highlight these four characteristics of his kingdom, hope, peace, joy, and love. You see, when you operate in those, you have unity. You have unity. What I described last week is it it is amazing what two believers how much they have in common. Doesn't matter if this one is uh, near death and this one is homeless and this one is incredibly wealthy and this one is, is Caucasian and this one is Vietnamese. What they have in common is amazing. The scripture recounts they have one God, one Lord, one Savior, one Holy Spirit, one salvation, one word, It's amazing what the people of God have in common. It makes, you know, you can kind of think about it this way. Anything that will last beyond your death, that would be considered more important. The color of my skin will not make it very far past my death. My language skills, such as they are, will cease. At that moment, I will no longer be 5'8". I will no longer have a degree that anyone recognizes. My money will be gone. It will go to someone else, whether I like it or not. It will go to someone else, whether I like them or not. All the things that separate you and I should never be things that go away when we die. Jesus proclaimed he was ushering in just such a kingdom. And that was the advent of that kingdom and that unity. I want to share a true story with you. I want to show you uh, World War I. This, uh, in World War I, uh, they particularly had a lot of what's called trench warfare. And they would dig these long trenches. Uh, and then they would try to move forward from this trench line. And the enemy had a long trench here. And so they were sometimes stuck for months where nobody had the power to overcome. Uh, I have a couple of pictures. Here's another one. There's snow on the ground. You can imagine how miserable 
this existence is. And so when they're in the trench over there, they're trying to align so that they're dropping bombs and shells and grenades in your trench. And these trenches are often very close, close enough to hear them talking. I want to show you uh, the next slide. This next slide is a picture of the Germans and the Brits on the trench line at Christmas in 1914. I want to read an excerpt of what is going on here. Christmas, 1914, roughly 100,000 British and German troops were involved in an unofficial cessation of hostilities along the Western Front. The first two started Christmas Eve, 1914, when German troops decorated the area around their trenches in the region of Ypres, uh, that's in Belgium, and particularly in the St. Yvonne area. The British heard them singing a Christmas carol. They were singing Silent Night. And they recognized the Christmas carol. It says the Germans placed candles on their trenches and on Christmas trees, and then continued the celebration by singing Christmas carols. The British responded by singing carols of their own. The two sides continued shouting Christmas greetings to each other. Soon thereafter, there were excursions across no man's land where small gifts were exchanged, such as food, tobacco, and alcohol, and souvenirs as buttons and hats. The artillery in the region fell silent, and the truce was allowed a breathtaking spell where recently killed soldiers could be brought back behind the lines by burial parties. Joint services were held. The fraternization carried risk. Some soldiers were shot by opposing forces. But in many sectors, the truce lasted through Christmas night, continuing on until New Year's. That's the power of Christ to unify very different people. They didn't have a lot in common. But when they recognized they had Jesus in common, they took great risk. In 1914, they gave their hat to a German or British soldier or buttons as souvenirs off their coat. They even played a game of soccer 
you know, it's too bad our politicians weren't there. Maybe the war would have ended in 1914 on Christmas. You see, what they got to taste is what it's like to go home. Where the lion lays down with the lamb. Where the child sticks his hand in the hole and the cobra doesn't bite. They got to taste what it is to go home. Jesus' entire ministry was him fulfilling people's dreams about the reality of home. To be healed, to be forgiven, to be understood, to be loved. The amazing power of Jesus to bring you home. Today, in this life, we don't see the fulfillment of it. Jesus said the completeness of it would come in his return. But what he did promise is what they could only pray and look for for 400 years. And I think we give them credit for 400 years. They waited to experience what you and I can experience. 400 years, they read Isaiah and they dreamed of going home. And there were battles and there was raging fights and changing of empires. But through all that, there was a remnant people of God who believed that there was one still coming that would usher in a time when Jesus would lead us home. We read in the scripture where it says that Jesus goes in where everybody's locked up and he takes the keys away from Satan and he opens all the cells. Doesn't ask, so what did you do? Why are you here? What's your crime? What are you accused of? No. He said, you get to go home. And he unlocks the cell. That's, that's the message that the church has to give. Christmas happens to be a time when even the world will recognize a Christmas carol. And in that moment, when we take a risk and come out of our trench, we might get shot. But we might see that they get out of their trench too. And we might see that people experience a bit of home because Jesus is in you and in me. You carry, you carry as the people of Jesus that reality of home.
Silent Night is the most popular Christmas carol there is. It's translated into over 300 languages. So no matter where you are in the world, I would break into Silent Night. You can do it in English. Because good chances are they're going to recognize you're a people that knows about home. And you, you can celebrate home with them. We're going to give you the rest of the story on Christmas Eve. But as I was reflecting on this message, I was thinking, it's easy to lose sight of home, isn't it? The world is hard. It's a hard place. It's a not a forgiving place. There's problems and there's bills and there's drama, there's struggle. There's our own weaknesses, our own fears. Today, what I want to tell you is maybe you are here because Jesus wants to remind you of home and you can experience that. Would you stand, please? I... um, I want to give us, if we could have a couple of prayer team members come up. I want to give you a chance today Are you overwhelmed today? Are you just tired? Are you overwhelmed? Do you need somebody to invite you out of the trench for a minute and to...